All right, folks, it's early September and temps are dropping. So as you know, that gets the fish somewhat fired up as the bait starts to concentrate and flush out of the rivers and head for deeper water. So that transition is going to happen here over the next couple months and be some great fishing. So we hope you're having some great times out on the water uh, and are enjoying yourselves out there. Uh, it's a busy fall at CCA. We have the Patuxent River Chapter Banquet this Friday, the 13th. It's going to be a great event with some great partners and sponsors. There's a lot of positive movement in the Living Reef Action Campaign and the reef ball building world uh, down in uh, Calvert County, St. Mary's County, thanks to some fantastic partners and sponsors. And you'll hear a lot more about that in the near future. But wanted to uh, make sure I mentioned that today. Um, 1,100 fifth graders will be building reef balls in Calvert County in a, as part of the Living Reef Action Campaign. So that's every fifth grader in Calvert County next year, starting in the spring. So if you're interested in any of that and helping out in some ways, uh, let us know. Information at ccamd.org. Um, also, we have the Baltimore Chapter Banquet coming up October 4th at the Eastern Yacht Club. And also the Baltimore uh, Chapter's Rocktober Cup is back. And it's a slightly different format this year. It's uh, enter uh, two tournaments in one. So we have a single-day tournament, which is what Rocktober has always been. Uh, that will be September 28th. Uh, September 29th will be the rain date. So it's a single-day tournament. A uh, number of prizes and, and uh, categories. Go out and catch photo, release your way to some uh, some great prizes. Uh, we have some new Calcutta information we'll be sharing soon on the, on the website. And then you have the entire month of October, or Rocktober. So uh, October 1st through the 31st, you'll be able to go out fishing at your leisure. An hour here, an hour there, before work, after work, take a whole day. Uh, it doesn't matter. And what, you're, what you'll be trying to do is stack up as many fish as possible. Uh, we'll be doing some random drawings for any entry. So even if you see the leaderboard and you feel like maybe you don't have a chance, you can still win uh, just with some random giveaways. There'll be some great Calcuttas for that one. And the uh, uh, you're, you'll be fishing for a three-fish stringer and then and some top prizes as well for the biggest fish. So uh, get out there on the water. Enjoy the entire month of October. It's simple just to sign up. Make sure you're a member. Uh, sign up for the tournament. You get two tournaments in one. And, um, and you can have a fun October and, and see how you stack up against some of the state's uh, better anglers. Speaking of better anglers, we're talking with CCA member and great friend uh, Tom Weaver, Captain Tom Weaver, who is operating out of Annapolis and is just a uh, laid-back, easygoing, great guy to enjoy a day on the water with and also happens to just be a extremely talented and, um, and experienced guy um, from professional sailing to now um, a, a fishing captain, a boat manufacturer, the guy's done it all and uh, is just a great joy to spend the day on the water with. So I apologize for some of the audio quality issues with this podcast. We were sitting outside at a farm uh, enjoying the beautiful day and didn't realize that there were some bugs in the background and I think I had some wrong settings set up on our recorder. But ultimately, I th hope you can brave your way through it and listen to some good conversation with Captain Weaver. Uh, didn't want to scratch the effort just because of some little uh, hum and hisses in the in the audio. So uh, we'll get better at that moving forward. But thanks, and uh, thanks for joining us for What's on the Line. Actually, last day of August. It's thirty-first. Oh my today. gosh! I'm fast forwarding. Yeah, yeah. I've been doing is, that the whole month of August. This August has been just phenomenal. I mean, I, I was actually lucky. I got. I was away a lot of July, just a couple of weeks, and then came back to August, and it was awesome. Yeah, you know, we've yeah. had 
Yeah, that ended good July weather. Was yeah, super hot. I just missed that. I was forced to leave and uh, travel with my wife. Where were you? I know you bounced around. Yeah, we went to Ireland. For, she had work in Ireland. Said you have to come and uh, help look after the baby. And I'm like, what? It's the busiest time of the year for me. And um, but then I uh, actually then my motor gave out finally. About a week, two weeks before it started to go, so I ordered the new motor, and they said, well, we can't do anything right now. Uh, it'll be about a week, and we need a week and a half to put the new motor on. I said, well, I'll go to Ireland. So, there you uh, go. And I went to Ireland and had the time of my life with my, my almost two-year-old daughter, and my wife was working every day <laughs> from 5.30 to 9, so all the pictures and videos that everybody saw, they go, did you just go on your own? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we know you don't yeah. go anywhere unsupervised. Right? No, no, no. So, uh, so we had a great trip. Uh, Imogen and I. Awesome, awesome. So we're sitting up here at a beautiful farm in uh, in Baltimore County with Tom Weaver, a, uh, a fishing guide, a sailor, a man of the world, and uh, many other things that we're, we'll talk about today. Um, for this is episode eight of the What's on the Line podcast. Uh, so being a fishing podcast... Let's talk fishing a little bit, Tom. Sure. And, you know, yeah. I know you've got uh, fishwithweaver.com. Yep. Um, I'll link all this stuff in the podcast uh, description, but fishwithweaver.com. Uh, Facebook is Fish with Tom. Yeah. Because his name is Tom Weaver. And as uh, we were just talking about, what, the website was not available? Fish well, well, I started <laughs> off when I launched the business. I, the easiest thing to when you launch a business is just launch it on Facebook, right? And so... We were trying to figure out what to call it, and I was. We had various names, and my wife said, "Just, just you. Everybody wants to fish with you, so call it Fish with Tom." So we did Fish with Tom, and then sometime later, I I thought, "Well, I've got to build a website for this business and things." And I go to look for a website, and Fish with Tom, believe it or not, was already taken by some dude in Michigan. So I'm like, "All right, well, we'll switch to Fish with Weaver." So the website's Fish with Weaver, the Instagram's Fish with Weaver, and everything else. And then I applied on Facebook five times now. Please, can I change the name to Fish with Weaver? And no reply, nothing. <laughs> and it's because it was original, you know what I mean? It was, uh, there's a lot of stuff in history there. I'm reluctant to just start a new right. Facebook account right. from scratch, which I probably should do and start populating it. But uh, yeah, so I'll, 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 I'll launch that Fish with Weaver Facebook page i suppose keith has told me yeah, just start a new one <laughs> um so because i gotta get it a little bit tied in but that's the little hitch in the whole system is that i have a fish with time absolutely well so now you, as you said you've got a new motor a uh what, yep. suzuki you just put on the yeah, back yeah put a nice suzuki 175 which has just uh changed my world because i mean i got that boat a few years ago and it was it was nice with the little honda on it the 130 honda but uh you know i was limited to speed and range because i fish fish I, I keep my boat in the water so i fish from the dock and uh i'm not a trailer guy and so but i'm very lucky and particularly in the past few years the fishing's been phenomenal right outside annapolis i mean i've had guides coming up from solomon's island and you know they're coming down from baltimore we've just had fabulous fishing but uh i can pick up and run a bit further now i'm 30 sort of 35 mile an hour cruise when i need to be and 30 all day long uh, I actually did a quick trip down uh, looking for redfish last uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, I think it was, and uh, we ended up at uh, Cedar Point all of a sudden. <laughs> wow! <laughs> In my 23-foot center console, mouth so that was a tuxin. mouth of a tuxin, south of the mouth of a tuxin, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, we did over 100 miles that day. Um, so yeah, the boat can handle it; boat's great. And now with the new motor, I'm just comfortable to go everywhere with it. So Absolutely, it's that's a 23 Seahawk center console. 23 Hawk center console that I completely rebuilt. I, I took. The floor was rotten in it, and uh, so I pulled that out, put new stringers, new floor, reconfigured it a fair bit, 
customized all the things. I have it's a setup for fly fishing. I, I do have a T top on it, which I was 50-50 whether I was going to keep that. In hindsight, it's been fantastic, and I have a full windshield on it, which I hadn't. Even that was sort of one of those things. But I fish later in the season. I've been out now in other boats in in you know, January, February, March, and my full windshield with just one other guy is, is, is a godsend. We can go out, and it's great. I've been on bigger boats and with a half windshield, like, whoa. Yeah. Um, then the T-top on there all day long. I'm out there doing doubles. You know, Right now, this past three or four weeks in August, I've been two trips a day, and the T-tops makes it doable. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, so I kept that, but I all flushed cleats, all nothing. So fly fishing off the bow is perfectly doable. Yeah. Yeah. And that was my setup to be able to do fly fishing as well as uh, light tackle spin casting. And that's what I specialize in. Well, and being a, there in Annapolis, out of Eastport, right? Right out of Eastport. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's a nice jump off point for folks that are in visiting town. You do totally. I mean, we get people, I mean, it's, it's sort of interesting what I get. I get obviously the local crowd and then I get the DC groups and then people from California or, or I took these guys out from... Um, from Alabama, they a great crowd from Alabama the other day. Uh, brother lives in, in uh, well, the son, I should say, one of the sons lives in Baltimore, but his dad, who's blind, and his brother and his daughter, his, so his niece, who's 11, I took a blind guy, an 11-year-old out, and they crushed it. Awesome. <laughs> they really knew how to fish, which was, and that's, that's nice. I mean, sometimes I'm coaching and training, and other times I'm just fishing with people who really, really know how to fish. And, uh, I had one of one of the better experiences, sort of sort of more surprising experiences. I took three Marines, retired Marines, out, and they said, "Hey, we want to charter for you today." And we did a full day, and uh, we get it. We're on fishing on some, you know, three feet of water, two three feet of water, fishing off rocks. And one of the guys said, "Do you have a fly rod?" And I'm like, "Sure, I got fly rods stowed on the boat." And pulled out the fly rod, and this dude could haul, double haul, and cast a fly. And I'm like, I. And they were kayak fishermen. The reason they chartered me, they do it once a year. They all fish out of. They were absolutely pinpoint casting and this and then and then he said and two of them knew how to throw a fly and there I'm like wow this is great you know and so that was cool just you know the people I'm meeting and uh, you know the experiences I can provide for them because I've got some I fish slightly differently to to the the mainstream crowd I suppose and particularly a lot of my clients are kids I mean pa you know parents with kids and uh, so I have to cater to that and keep moving and uh Keeping eight and ten and eleven-year-olds uh, interested is is a challenge. You know, we've got to be catching fish. It's, right. it's not right. all about limiting out or, or like some of these other guys. You know, I don't do that. What I try and provide an experience on the water. That's fantastic. That's I've, we talked about that in previous yeah, podcasts yeah, with yeah. other guides and just the the fact that guides or ca uh, charter captains, you name it, are yeah. ambassadors of our sport. And there's it's fantastic that other people can come to our our uh, state capital. Right. You know, a beautiful town like Annapolis, be wandering around the streets and, and look for something else to do and, and have a service like yours to, to hop well, on board and have a welcoming experience. Well, I'm, it's it's really interesting. I started this, but I've been fishing Chesapeake Bay since I first got here, so 1990, that's 30 years. And, uh, you know, I've seen the ups and downs of the fishery. We can talk about that in a minute. But I also am lucky that I have a, I, I, I run a guide business out of Key West in the winter. I have a boat that lives down there full time. So the winter I run out and fish down out of Key West, and Key West is a fishy town. I mean, it's yeah. one of the most famous fishing towns in the world. But I tell people the fishing out of Annapolis is better. And I mean that in a different way. I can run a two or three hour trip, a three hour trip, probably a three hour trip would be my minimum, especially in the evening, and have a great trip. In, in the Keys, it's hard. We've got to run a bit further. Um, 
fish are small. I mean, there's so many, so much variety in the Keys, don't get me wrong. But the fishing out of Annapolis when it's good, you know, you run a trip, do, I can achieve what I want on most days. And then particularly, uh, uh, I have my spots if the winds are out of, you know, the wrong direction south is my least favorite wind direction. Um, but I've got rivers I can run up. Last year was extremely tough. We just had awful fishing all the way around. Mm -hmm. Outside of last year, I've got places where I can go hide. I canceled trips last year because, I, A, I couldn't get into the bay because of logs and things for a lot of the time. And then the fishing was so terrible and I wasn't able to find fish. And so if it got breezy and I couldn't get into the main stem and there were no fish in the rivers, I just said, look, we're not going fishing because it wasn't, it wasn't what I could provide a service for. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you said uh, 30 years ago you got here. You're not a native Annapolitan? No, I know. I'm south, <laughs> south Annapolis, strange accent. They say, where are you from? I'm South County, Maryland. You know, so, no, no, I'm originally from New Zealand and uh, traveled all over the world before I wound up in Annapolis. I was actually, uh, so I've been, I raced uh, sailing boats professionally for about 25 years, uh, round the world races and America's Cups and things like that. And uh, I wound up in Annapolis in 1991. It was my first gig here. I was hired by a yacht designer, Bruce Farr, uh, New Zealand, very, very famous, but the best, the best New Zealand uh, yacht designer in the world. And uh, they had a little office here in Eastport. And uh, so they hired me, their group, in, as a sort of project manager, pro sailor guy who went out and, and uh, was there. I was, I was the face of the you know, in terms of on the water face for them. So mm -hmm. my, I represented the company. I did that for a fair while. And then uh, after that, I left there and I went off and did a couple, I did a round the world race and then an America's Cup, couple of America's Cup campaigns before finally getting back full time to living in Annapolis. I always kept my home here in Annapolis when I was away. And then uh, I got back into Annapolis in about 2006 and uh, started my boat building company, the Eastport Yacht Company. We built the Eastport 32s. And the fishing business, um, that sort of, that started, I started fishing in Florida in the winters and then developed it further into fishing full-time in Maryland. And it's actually interesting, getting, getting a um, guide license in Maryland is a lot harder than a guide license in Florida. In Florida, it's a hundred bucks. You walk in and if you get it, you, everybody's got one. <laughs> <laughs> but Maryland is, it's very, I like the system. And I tell you, my, my guys and my friends in Florida, my fishing friends in Florida are, jealous that they have this system here. We have 520 guides in the whole state of Maryland. And uh, that includes Ocean City. That's all the, anybody on a boat that takes people out has to be a licensed fishing guide. And to do that, you have to, you have, first of all, you have to have a captain's license. Uh, once you've got that, then you have to wait on the waiting list to get on there. We don't have an apprenticeship anymore like they used to, but uh, that still doesn't, you know, s slow it down. Mm -hmm. I am seeing a lot more light tackle guys like myself, light tackle guides getting into the business. And I think the trend and, and where, what do we service different to the, the, the big boat, head boat, charter boats, which take more than six people, is we, we are not just going out to get a limit of fish and take a bunch of guys drinking. These guys in, on my boat have to do a lot of work. They have to cast and uh, they, they, you know, it's a interactive and particularly the fly guys who, you know, not necessarily training fly guys, but they'll come. Um, I love to take kids, and I teach them. I said, look, you've got to be able to cast your own lure, and then you've got to be able to take your own fish off the lure at the end of the day. So I teach them how to do that, and some of them are as young as six, six or seven when they're doing that. Eight, eight's, 
it's a good age, yeah. but I took a four-year-old out yesterday and he had the best time of his life. You know, his sister was doing most of the fishing, but you know, we did a half day and uh, he hung in there for a whole half day. And uh, That's great. so eight's, eight's a pretty good age to bring them along and then they get into it. And then and you're sort of doomed. I've found a few dads going, oh boy, what, what have I created <laughs> here? You know, um, And I take a lot of parents out who've, take their kids out and struggle to find fish. And I mean, I, I'm not any better than anybody else. I just spend so much time on the water. I just right. know right. where they are day in and day out. I've got my uh, contact list. And so when I go fishing, I, I, I sort of, the number one tip I tell people is, is you've got to fish where the fish are. Yeah. And, and a lot of people, when they start, don't realize that. They go out in the middle of the bay, throw some lines out and don't catch anything. And they're like, ah get frustrated. So I coach people. And then um, a lot of people say, well, if you coach these guys, don't you give away your secrets and stuff, uh, you know, they'll be gone. I said, look, I have people now who charter me five trips a year. It changes. Every month I get different type of fishing, different places. And some of my best clients are guys that they have their own boat and their own fishing tackle, but they still charter me because it's become a relationship. Thing. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And if you think about I'm getting ready to sell my boat and I used to have a lot more time to fish and my dad and I used to fish a ton when I worked with him and, um, you know, he and I would talk about it quite often he said to me years ago well, you know if you're not using your boat so much why don't you just sell it and fish with guides yeah and you do the math on it and the math is you yeah know. yeah i mean you spend 500 bucks every every yeah, five times know, a year five times a and year well cheaper and, and, than you, and, you, and you're gonna catch fish with a yeah. guide yeah. because that's what they're they, that's what they do yeah and they and take care of their equipment you know you know yeah, you're gonna have stuff that's functional you know you're gonna have right fresh you know, tackle no yeah. surprises in your tackle box no, no. you haven't seen it in eight months yeah i mean my biggest thing is i have top class tackle i it was that's an interesting story actually uh, i first started it on the uh, in the one in key west i outfitted that boat with top top of the line stuff and up here i'm like oh i'm gonna have kids that are gonna be dropping my rods in the water so i bought cheap rods and cheap reels and uh 60 days into it not even that 30 days into it there's people they're reeling and the handle falls off and he, because i'm not handling the gear all the time and the handle comes off and this comes off and the reel binds up and the, and the rod tip breaks off and so i'm like okay we're done with that and uh I'm very lucky to be supported by some of the best uh, um, partners you know, in, in the industry. You know, my rods all come from St. Croix and my reels all come from Shimano. And um, I put good gear on my yeah. boats. And, I, yeah, and it's not, I'm not putting in on the top of the line stuff, but I put on midline stuff that clients, when they come fish with me, say, what is this setup? It's a, it's a, you know, I said, well, it's actually, there's a name for it. It's the Tom Weaver Light Tackle Package at All Tackle. And uh, so, <laughs> there you go. So, so I, because I could give them numbers and lists of each of these things, I said, You go get a rod reel and an American Fishing Wire High Seas line spooled on it. And it's a, you know, it's a very, I have, you know, a, a, a jigging setup and a casting setup. Mm -hmm. Either or, and uh, you could go go to All Tackle, and they'll they'll give you exactly what you used on my boat today. And I, I think that's what people want. Absolutely, you right know. there by the town center. The, 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 yeah, they, 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 they go right there, and they say, "Hey, I want this package," and they'll get what they used on the boat. And I think that's that's what they want because they don't want something similar. And and you go look at a rod line or a reel line, you know, a catalog, and you'd be confused as heck, you know. And so. Yeah. So I, I put on really good gear. Uh, it's good value gear too. It's not. I'm not putting on $500 reels and $500 rods, but it's it's a good package, you know, for for a, for somebody who wants to fish the 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 setups that we do here in, in, in Maryland. Yeah. yeah, there's always a great range of 
good gear available at all different price points. I mean, there's a lot yes. of guys that'll buy the top of the line because that's what they want. Well, I mean, you, afford, you know, but. you can go in there. I mean, if you start getting more, but my, my stuff, I, mean, you know, I think the Tom Weaver package is about $250 a mm-hmm. combo. Mm-hmm. It, you know, you can spend $400 on a rod and $600 on a reel if you want. But, I mean, this is a spooled combo. It's about 250 with a Sincroy rod, a Shimano reel, and some um, some good braid on Oh, those are yeah. great brands. And you, you know, you yes. Uh, yeah. The beat. yeah, yeah. Out, without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. That's great. And it's one more way that people are getting introduced in an easy way to fishing. And that's what we need in our industry. I mean, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. I get yeah. these guys come and say, hey, can we fish on my boat? And I used to do that a little bit. I, I kind of still do it a little bit. Dial yeah. in their electronics. Yeah. They said... We've got our own gear. Don't worry about it. I I, <laughs> I take all the gear off my boat. Trouble. They I have a, and nothing against any of this, but they pulled an ugly stick from under the porch that's been there for nine years, with the same piece of mono line on it that I just pulled. And they, they they've got this on. They said, and they've got one of those little clips. They've clipped their little jig head on with a clip oh, like a, and yeah, yeah, snap, snap swivel yep, and yep. all this stuff. And I'm like, ah, guys. So the first thing I do is I take the mono line and I go. Yeah. <laughs> and it snaps and they're like I said if that was a fish that was the fish of a lifetime you'd have lost that fish because your line is done you yeah. know it's been sat under that porch for whatever so I said and the, and the ugly stick's too soft for what we want to do jigging and things like that so I have to educate them a little uh-huh. bit on the equipment because when you, are, when you start getting into these fish you need good gear yes. you know you, you don't want to lose fish unnecessarily well that's so important I mean again you could walk into any store and probably try a fishing rod but not really realize what you're getting. And to have a good experience, if you right. go to a store that's knowledgeable, you get helped out by staff like All Tackle. Well, my, my, goal, my goal when when a guy comes fishing with me, particularly the local people, I mean, I, I get it from a guy from Alabama, he's just going to have an experience with me, and then he's off to go redfish down there and do whatever. Mm-hmm. But the local guys come up to me, and they, 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 they have a boat. And they they, they want to learn from me. So amongst all of these things, it's like, well, let's put, you know, you've got a boat you've spent $50,000 on, you know. Spend 1500 bucks on some rods and reels for your kids, and and, uh, and, and it won't seize up on you. And, right. and, you know, the line won't break. And you look after that gear, it'll last you a lifetime. And, uh, and, and so that's part of my job, is to get them into the right level of equipment to have fun. Yep. You know, yep. Um, yep. it's all about having fun out there. You know? Absolutely, absolutely. The, um, so I read something the other day from a, a fishing group that talked about, uh, we were talking about striped bass and changes in that fishery. And Spike is here, by the way. <laughs> yeah, our, that's uh, the panting. This yeah. is the panting he, and uh, the, he, the he, tennis he, ball you hear in the background. He actually, my, my Chesapeake Bay Retriever, he, uh, now he's Instagram famous, um, hashtag Spike's Life. Um, but he's, uh, he's um, his Instagram handle is, uh, uh, what is his Instagram handle? I don't know. I can't I'm remember. Look it up. I yeah. know I follow the guy. I know, but uh, his hashtag is Spike. Dog. His hashtag Spike Life. But now he gets requested to come on board as first mate sometimes. I never take him with people who, who don't know him, but some people say, hey, can Spike come fishing too? And so he gets to come fish with us. And, uh, Eastport Dog. Eastport Dog. That's his, uh, his Instagram. Yeah, he's Eastport Dog. So Eastport follow Dog. Spike. You'll yeah. see he's a beautiful Chesapeake Bay Retriever, of course, uh, uh, yeah. our own brand, the Maryland State Maryland, Dog. Yeah, yeah. Right? And and, he's a beautiful uh, example. And he loves coming out on the water fishing with us, and, uh, and uh, he'll sleep around all day until, a, until somebody goes, ah, he knows when somebody's excited when they've got a fish on, and uh, that's it. He's right there at the rail, barking encouragement. So um, is, he, is he a hard-headed Chessie? Or is he no, pretty... he's, he's a complete softie. He's yeah. one of the nicest Chessies you've ever met. Uh, I was very lucky, very yes. lucky. But anyway, he's being a hardhead now because he wants me to throw the ball. <laughs> hey, buddy, go lie down. Well, so I was I was reading this thing, and it was talking about um, gear choices. And as a light tackle guide, 
Um, I think sometimes there's a misconception that um, light, lighter tackle means more impact to the fish or burden on the fish. Same thing with fly. And as somebody that's fished with all the different gear, I've experienced personally that every gear is a little bit different and big fish could whoop you on big gear or you could whoop a big fish on light gear. And it, it's a lot of other factors than simply the tackle. So do you find that experience with guys that break out a fly rod and know what they're doing are capable of landing big fish just the same as, you know, big heavy tackle? Yeah, 100%. Um, my, my, I have interesting theories about what we're going through right now. And um, so if we're talking about impact on fish, and I think the biggest question I have in the moment is this f f uh, river of dead fish floating down downstream. You know, you're out there in the bay, and, and more recently we've been seeing more and more of these dead fish, and they say they're all downstream of the chumming fleet or the chunking fleet. I, I am of a, a slightly different opinion. I don't think it's all fishermen. I mean, no doubt there's an impact. But last year was the most horrible fish kill I'd ever seen. And sure, it was floating down from a chumming fleet, but a lot of those fish were big fish. And if they're big fish, they hadn't been released. And I think this is the problem. I didn't see too many small dead fish. I saw a lot of big, I saw a lot of dead big fish. So I think it was, last year we had extremely fresh water, very low oxygen content. It was just nasty water. And those fish got trapped in pockets of semi-oxygen rich water. When it ran out, they died and they floated down the river. This year we have a few out there, but it's nothing like last year. And again, the salinity is coming back. We got better. The salinity just came back into the bay about two or three weeks ago, maybe four or five weeks ago. Yep. And we've had phenomenal fishing. The striped bass, the rockfish fishing has been great all season. The, we've got this massive run of uh, Spanish mackerel and some, some decent bluefish. I mean, they're not super thick now, but there's a lot more bluefish than last year. There's red drum within 30 miles, a big red drum within 30 miles of Annapolis right now. And some you know, up in the Eastern Bay now. Um, so the fishing's been phenomenal. And again, the salinity and the, and the, and the water's been really good. Um, so the impact of a fly guy or even a light tackle, and we, we do use light tackle because it's fun. Yeah. And then you do hook into a big fish. He's going to have a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of fun with that fish. But the fish, generally, they're hooked. Generally, I mean, I say almost exclusively hooked in the lip. We don't gut hook fish with the stuff I use. We just mm -hmm. don't do it. It doesn't happen. Um, and so they, they're, they're easy to de-hook very quickly. Uh, so long as the bigger ones, you know, in, in August, the water, you've got to make sure you keep, you know, revive him, particularly the bigger ones. The little yeah. ones are going to be fine. Yeah. But the bigger ones, just swim them alongside the boat. When we, we were releasing, and I, didn't, I haven't got any really big ones. I haven't got anything over 30 in August, but July we were catching over 30 on every trip. And, uh, and, yeah, we would make sure we'd release them. We'd, some of them, we, you know, even in July, I probably wouldn't tag them. I wouldn't pull them out of the water for that long. I was tagging fish in June. Um, July and August, when the water's up there, I would be more careful. Interestingly, last week, one, last Wednesday, the water temperature, you know, middle of the bay, there was 86 degrees, and yesterday it was 76 degrees. Wow. That is the biggest temperature <coughs> drop I've seen in the water. In one week, the temperature dropped 10 degrees. And, you know, normally a couple of degrees a week, but we've had 10 degree drop uh, and, and um, the fish, you know, the fish are hungry. They're loving it. Um, yeah. We're, we're going to lose a lot of the bait fish pretty quickly. They'll scarper out of here. 
Uh, the Macs are still here. I didn't get it. I didn't even really try for them yesterday, but um, the rockfish are, are eating, you know, because they feel that. But that was a massive temperature drop, in my opinion, in August, you know, so things are happening, which is cool. And so the fishery is ever evolving. Yeah. Uh, but the light tackle, the jig and the fly is a lip hook thing, so we're not, not going to you know, damage the fish in terms of, you know, gut hooking it. And yeah, so there's a bit of fight. But honestly, if you're trolling and you're dragging a fish through the water with its mouth open at three knots, you know, that fish is going to struggle to survive, in my opinion. Right, right, you know, right. I think if it's swimming around and we've got the drag set right, you know, it can take off. But, you know, we put enough drag on it, put some heat on it. Um, we'll get we'll get a fish to the boat as quickly as we well, can. Well, and, and we've said it in other podcasts: fishing is a blood sport. No, totally. <laughs> and, I mean, you know, taking home something, uh, taking something, and, and that's yeah. an interesting thing because yeah. uh, you know, for, for, you know, uh, and I'll, I'll be perfectly honest. You know, uh, poacher turned gamekeeper situation. I used to, you know, fill the <laughs> boat with fifty inch fish. That's this is great, you know. And uh, I'm uh, now 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 I'm one of the complete opposite. In terms of you know my my any any recreational fishing myself, I release it. I I'm lucky enough to to fish in Florida in the winters, and I come back with tons of mahi mahi, my favorite fish to eat anyway. I put that in the freezer every time I fly home. I go every time I come back from Florida. I go out in the morning, catch a bunch the day before I, the day I come back. Actually, I go out in the morning, catch a bunch, put them on uh, in the in the cooler, and fly back with those, and then we freeze that. And so we, my wife and I, eat mahi mahi all the way through. Uh, the winter yes. so I'm not it's not like I don't like rockfish or whatever but I'm just aware and anything worth keeping I'd rather see it swim away at the moment mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. um, but my clients want to it's it's part of the game they charter me I'm definitely and, and we very rarely put a full if I got two guys on board we'll put two fish in the cooler you know mm -hmm. if I got three or four guys on board we'll put four fish in the cooler kind of a fish each rather than let's limit out and we very rarely limit out and yeah. um, I had an interesting experience the other day I had one single client, and we were fishing, and we'd switched up to Spanish mackerel rigs. And that's the first time I, I, I learned something that day. So we were using heavier metal, heavy metal with a trailing hook, and we were trying to, and we got onto a pod of 24-inch fish. Every, you know, we were 300 yards away from the fleet catching 8-inch fish, and we just got onto this pod in 45 minutes, just the two of us, we whacked these 24-inch fish. It was fun. Two of them, the rockfish, had swallowed these metal lures, which were probably about four inches long with a trailing hook, so the total is about six inches behind. And they had swallowed the hooks and gill got them in the gill. Yeah. And we pull them up and they're bleeding. And so we put, you know, the guy said, I don't really want, but you know, that's not gonna survive. Right. So we put those two in the cooler. The guy didn't want any fish, but we put two 24 inch fish in the cooler. Um, and it was interesting, I learned that, is that they're gonna, when you're using, we were using that metal to try catch Spanish mackerel, we ended up on rockfish and we can't, and they were just, the rockfish were just gobbling it up every cast. And, uh, but you can deep hook with that setup mm -hmm. because the normal lure I have, the, 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 the hooks, it's a jig head and the hooks way forward in the lure. Right. But with that trailing hook, it would sometimes get them. It does not gut hooked, it was gill hooked, which was interesting. And they came out bleeding. And, uh, well, and that's, that's what the choice we all have as anglers, yeah. and we'll learn. And the best way to learn is from captains with experience every yeah. single day on what the impacts are on the fish and try yeah. and use our gear yeah. Yeah. accordingly. I mean, nobody I, wants to I mean, kill something by accident. I'm not, you know, the, the, the standard technique, and it's sort of the no-brainer, is to go get live, to go get live spot, mm -hmm. anchor up, sit on a school of fish with everybody else, and drop that to the bottom. I've done that two or three times this year just because it's, it's, it's interesting. 
when the when the spot when 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 I'm I, you know, we jigged all the way through June and then the spot showed up on the day the spot show up and the guys come to our spots you know the charter captains come to our spots and start throwing live bait in the water, they shut our bait down. It becomes yep. almost impossible for us to jig the fish off the bottom when there's live bait around. So a few times I'd text some guys. I said if we're going to put fish in the boat, I've got to live bait it. So I fill my well up and go catch them for the spot and. I, the number of gut hooks we get, no matter what, I tried, you know, eight o hooks and this, that, and the other, and, and you know, we would still gut hook an undersized fish, you know, and uh, it, it, it was inevitable, and and we have to throw that back, we, even though I'd sort of, I don't know how you'd police it, but you show the DNR cop, look, that thing had swallowed a hook and it's down there. I'm sorry, it's 17 inches long, but I'd rather take it home and eat it than. Uh, so yeah, I, it, it disappointed me, and I don't, I don't have a. A solution for that. I mean, no, that's, it's, it's not. It's not something. It's not. It's not. It's not my main style of fishing. So I don't. I really just want to. But it was. I was finding that it, it did a lot more damage to the fish. Yeah, and the life. reality is, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about dead discards, which yeah. are the fish that you yeah. release that yeah. die. And there's averages that are assumed within the management plan, and it's never perfect. But it's. I think managers are accounting for it. Um, when it's in your face, and there's a lot of dead floating fish around the bay, it's easy to point fingers and say it is the chumming fleet, the chunking fleet. Yeah. But the, like you said, it's water quality. There are pound nets in some of these areas that fish will die in them. If they were full, full of dead fish. Yeah, yeah, I've seen full that. of dead fish. Yeah. And up to, it's up to DNR to try and find a way to um, mitigate the damage that's happening that is wasteful and still allow access for all user groups to the resource. And that those plans are being worked on. Um, I think as I spoke about in the last podcast, and I'll mention the dates right now, it's September 25th in Annapolis at the uh, church, which is just west of the DNR building on Rowell Boulevard. Uh, the Calvary Church, uh, there will be a public meeting where the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission staff will present the upcoming changes on striped bass that are being proposed in Addendum 6. And then the day before that at 2 p.m. at the Taws building, the DNR building in Annapolis, there's a Sport Fish Advisory Commission meeting at 2 p.m. that will talk about striped bass proposals and, and options and some of the science and information behind that to, with the commissioners, as well as uh, invasive species and what we can do to focus on some of the impacts that they're having and what role we can play as recreational anglers to try and uh, partner with DNR to, to try and find the um, maybe some solutions or at least get the word out. And that's just like Tom's been talking about as a guide, what he brings to uh, the, the public that's fishing with him from an education standpoint, we all have that opportunity and we all have the opportunity to work with the Department of Natural Resources to try and smooth the road out for them because they have a tough job. And while CCA and I am definitely a critic quite often, um, it's a big part of it, what we do as advocates. Um, it's important to recognize that we're all in this together and we all have this resource to share. And as you talked about circle hooks and even ADOs and others uh, uh, deep hooking fish, you, you triggered my memory. I was talking with a charter captain the other day who's a big boat charter captain, does a lot of live lining, takes more than six people. And, uh, you know, he was really concerned about the, charter, uh, the circle hook regulation last year and how it would impact his business. Was not a big fan of it, but ultimately it, it, it came along. And so he said to me, you know, I really wanted to start capturing my own data so I understood what was happening out there with these fish and these hooks. So it's mostly live lining, a little bit of chunking, obviously some chumming too, but he's using these inline circle hooks as required. Uh, and unfortunately, I think some people aren't using these circle hooks and that's one, an issue for another day. Um, but, but he's using them and he, he marked down all the different hook locations and, and all the details of each, every fish that was caught. Hundreds of fish. I think as of a couple of weeks ago, I'd talked to him, he had fished uh, 200 trips and had, had a record for all these. And he said if the tide was running, generally speaking, the hook worked properly. Ah, uh, okay. Yep. You see, I mean, I, yep. and this is interesting because, again, you know, three, three, three or four times this year, that's all. I, yep. I, can, I went out and 
put bait in the water just to make sure I got some fish for these guys. You know, it's like, yeah. and uh, you know, I, I just I was I wouldn't I couldn't tell you I, I hadn't recorded that sort of data, yeah. um, and and I was I, I started off with small ones or well I went I started with six or seven o and I went down to three or four o to see if that made a difference didn't. Right, don't right. do that. I, I killed a couple of fish right away doing that. Well, then I went we to the Edos, and, and you yeah. know, every fourth fish would be hooked badly or something when I was doing it. And I don't know whether I'm doing it wrong or. But I, I mean, I've been fishing with circle hooks for, for t 10, 15 years mm -hmm. in the ocean, yeah. and um, I, I'm a huge fan of it. Huge fan of that and marlin fishery and stuff like that. And I can't even remember the last time I got hooked a marlin with a circle hook. You know, right, and, uh, right. and uh, um, but. The rockfish are different, you know, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I can see where you say the current because if it's slack, he's going to have a, you know, and if you do any sort of a drop back to it, you know, because what happens, they grab it and they come off and you drop it back to them a little bit more and they grab it again. Now you got to feed it a little bit and then it yeah. swallows it. And then yep. maybe what what's interesting in the rockfish is all that tongue thing mm -hmm. down there. I don't know what you even call it. I probably should know. And... Um, <laughs> Hey, I'm a fish nerd. Yeah, yeah, I have no yeah. Idea. You look it's, in there. It's in his mouth. I yeah, I mean, know. you look at a yeah. white marlin, and 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 the and the and the mouth looks like a small garbage pail. You know, with yeah. the rockfish, it's even you know. And what the the bigger problem, of course, is is that we're not gut hooking the, the 24 inch fish. You know, we're gut hooking the 16, 17 inch fish. Mm -hmm. Gut hooking a 24 inch fish, if you're planning on keeping it, is not really a problem. Well, and that's where it's good to keep room in your limit too. Well, always. Not, not yeah, keep it right we away never, I never, we very rarely go to yeah. a limit, and I certainly would stop. Circle hook. I would stop live lining for fish if I had a limit in the boat. Right. I would definitely not. Right. I right, would right, not right. continue. Not, not, yeah, live lining chumming is not a catch and release. No, that's and that's fishery. exactly right. Yeah. That's a meat fishery yeah, deal. Yeah. And and the only downside to it is is like sometimes I'm throwing back a 17 or 18 inch fish, which would be quite nice on the grill hole. You know. Um, yeah. I've always lamented that. No, yeah. God, yeah. You know, you know, if I tell the DNR guy, look, I mean, I'm a guide. I can't afford to take a ticket and lose my license right. because I got we one 17-inch, you know, 17-inch yeah. fish in the boat, so I have to put it back. And I'm like, that's not going to live. Right. right. Um, but you know, on the on the whole, on the on the whole, though, I mean, we had a. I would consider this year, despite the the the, the big and and you know, this is Dave's your big field is you know, what are we going to do about the fishery going forward? But we had a, in our area. We had what I consider a, a fantastic season. Uh, everybody complained about the big breeding fish and stuff. Well, actually, I was fishing catch and release pre-season, like mm -hmm. I always do, and mm -hmm. did okay. I had a pretty good, I would say, you know, catching some big fish in March, you know, and uh, I think they were here and gone. I can't really tell you, but I know around about trophy season, quote, trophy season, nobody was catching and saying, well, this is really bad. Well, I, I kind of cheered to myself I was in Key West on opening day so I, I I kind of generally miss opening day and when I hear that you know the weather's bad or, or, or this I sort of do a little cheer to myself that we're not going to slaughter the fish in the bay and uh, well and, yeah. and like you said uh, you know you used to and so yeah, it's yeah. Not, yeah oh no know. no I mean I was yeah. I was yeah. that it's guy not that the people participating no, are bad no people, no, but no, no, no 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 the fishery kind yeah, of thing, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah no I mean well, I do a little cheer to myself yeah, thank you and that's sort of what the DNR do I mean some years and I think it's kind of cool some years the, the fish are going to win and some years the angler are going to win because the DNR time it so that they've, at least they've spawned A and B, they've got out of the bay, had a chance to get out of the bay to go get whacked all the way up the coast yeah, by yeah. everybody else. But and, and that's another a, story. Well, you know? for a long time, the, uh, 
Well, just the last point on that circle thing real quick, because you, you, you hit on it, but I want to make it clear to people. When the current was slack, the fish were getting deep hooked. Yeah, they're swallowing. They have yeah. time to swallow yeah, it. They yeah. have time to swallow it. And anybody's been on a school of fish, yeah. and if you get one fish lit up, the other's yeah. the competition yep. happens, yep. right? Yep. So they're more Leave aggressive it, on, yeah, the, yeah, on the bait. Yeah. With marlin, even live bait, slower trolling yeah. or dead boat fishing, that marlin is really attacking that bait with aggression. That's the way they're going to do it right. all the time. I would say, and, and the thing is, what we do, we feed it, we let it swallow the bait, yeah. but it's got such a much bigger mouth, and there isn't obstructions in there. Yeah. I mean, when I open a, you know, a, a, a rockfish mouth, there's all these obstructions. And what the deep hooking I'm finding is what we call it gut hooked or whatever, but there's stuff there. Yeah. Well, and, in, and, a, in a marlin, it's, they're designed to slash the bait, yeah. wound it, come back and pick it up. Yeah. So they're not a sipper, they're not a gulper, right? You know, or they're not a biter per se. They're a, attack it, yep. injure it, and come back and pick it up. Yeah. So that just intuitively, if you've marlin fished, and I've been fortunate yeah. enough to do it a lot, you know, when you're on the troll with a circle hook, yeah. what was so hard for folks at first yeah. was to recognize, A, you don't set the hook, right? and B, it's not like the fish is going to grab the hook and hang itself. No, like no, it no, 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 no. I mean, certain certain oceanic fish will do that, but yeah. the white marlin yeah. particularly is the, one of the hardest fish to, the pickiest fish to hook. Yeah. And, but when you do look inside that great moor of a fish when you've got it next to the boat, it's all smooth yep. in there. So really there's nothing for the hook to hang on until it gets to the corner of the mouth. Right, and they're going to come up, slash that yeah. bait. If you're on the bait, on the rod and you're doing it right, you're going to drop it in free spin, right. drop it back. At that point, what you're doing is essentially showing that marlin, yes, it killed me, the bait yeah. is laying there, and it's drifting back as the yep. boat proceeds forward. And, and he just swims by and he eats swims it. swims by, gulps it. Whereas with the J hooks, they would again if you dropped it back on the J hook, they'd swim back, they'd grab it, and then you'd, and you'd set the hook, and the the hook would be way down inside. Yep. And so the statistics on marlin, which obviously the studies have all been done, are, are just phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And and sailfish, remember, it's, it's, yep. it's a yep. lot of the yeah, pelagic, billfish yeah. in particular, and, and anything with bait, you know, um, has been phenomenal. I just see the rockfish has a bit more of a crowded, uh, and if you let it eat it. Mm -hmm. You know, and there's more stuff in there for it, for the hook just to hang on. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, I think that's why they get deep hooked. Well, know? and you mentioned also with those metals you were using, the same thing. The rockfish yep. is going to... Grab actually, the whole thing, yeah. Yeah, and a lot of times rockfish will actually eat from the, for, the head yep. and try and gulp it in because they want the bait to go yep. Yep. downhead Where, first. Whereas the mackerel and the, and the bluefish have just biting the tail back, off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so that's why we put the hook on the back of it. And yeah. that was a, a lesson learned that other day is that um, we were on rockfish. They were eating anything we threw at them, um, so we continued. And yeah. uh, we should have switched back to paddle tails again, uh, like I normally do. Right, and, and, right. And, uh, but we, you know, we, 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 we did, actually. I, 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 interestingly, once we got those two in the box, which was now my limit, we stopped. I switched out rods. I said, guy, we've got to switch. And, he, and then we continued, because yeah. he didn't want to continue killing fish. And so then we continued with... Um, with uh, with little paddle tails and uh, and never never deep hooked another fish. Right, you don't, right. you know, with the paddle tail. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, so you mentioned trophy season and uh, DNR trying to manage that based on when the the fish are spawning. Um, I think personally that um, and we've worn this at CCA for years that uh, the trophy season probably snuck a little too early um, and stayed there too long. Yeah. And Maryland does not have the a very large impact on the big fish, and I, I know that's a <laughs> that's a yeah. conclusion that I'm right. making, but it's not the end of the story. It's it's on paper, our harvest year after year after year of the big spawning stock fish is somewhere between five to eight percent, okay. if I'm not mistaken. And right. so that's not saying that that's uh, those aren't important fish. And the pre-spawn component or the spawn component is a big piece of the puzzle that we have to consider. But that's a group decision to make. And um, but I know for a long time we've said that. If you look at meteorological data, the water temps, the moon phases and such, and we know about when these fish are going to spawn, we should try and let them spawn as much as possible. And I think, yeah. unfortunately, 
when the when the, the uh, trophy season starts, it's a little bit early in the year. Sometimes it is the third Friday of, of it's the Saturday, yeah it's the fifteenth to the eighteenth yeah fifteenth to the eighteenth nineteenth of April every year you can yeah. you set your clock by it and yeah. and you know it's everybody you know it's the it's the beginning of spring oh, it's, it's the exciting. end of a long winter yeah. people yeah. have been respooling I mean everybody gets ready for it and you go out on a beautiful day on opening day I mean and it is it's it's actually a cool thing to see you know yeah. I mean there's and it's funny like three days later there's nobody out in the bay <laughs> right. especially if the fishing's bad you know it's like and so that was this year was <coughs> was fascinating so I'd been away for about the first week or so of uh, of the season down in Florida and I I came back everybody goes it sucks it sucks and I went out on a I think it was a Thursday afternoon beautiful day there was not another single fishing boat in the bay, like one or two weeks into the season. I'm like, this is crazy. I went to the Bay Bridge, started jigging around there. I think third or fourth cast, I got a 35-inch fish. And I was just on my own because I had some trips coming up, so yep. I just wanted to go. And I caught dozens of fish. There was, I was on my own on the boat, and there was three other boats at the Bay Bridge. And everybody's telling me how awful the season was and everything like that. And uh, there was three of us. And so then I took a trip out the next day. We did a couple. And, you know, slowly I saw four or five boats. And then by the end of the week, there were 15 boats. <laughs> and then the following, it didn't take much more than a week and a half before we started getting 100, oh, yeah. 150 boats. Bay on that Bridge eastern, became a busy place. Bay Bridge, eastern <laughs> side. And I mean, but I got there right at the beginning of yeah. that. And I'm like telling my clients, fishing's great. And we were catching giant fish with no pressure, all... Um, jigging and of course all that period of time there was no spot in the bay at that stage so the, the guys come in and chunk and chum and generally with chunk and chum I can still jig fish up it's not yeah, yeah. it's not until the spot arrived that I, I really struggled so then I moved once it got too crazy at the bridge I just went away uh, found plenty of fish in different spots I was a little shocked I have to say the the old lighthouse ruins uh, at Love Point. There's a pile of rocks yep. there, and there's a there's a pound net there. And we got up there, and again, once we moved away from the Bay Bridge, we got up there. We we you find the light tackle guys tend to be a bit more um, ex explore more. They move away, and especially if places get crowded, we just move. And so I'd got up there, and we were catching great fish on those pile of rocks. Nobody around us, and there'd be me and a couple other light tackle guys. Maybe one guy anchored up. And it was great. I mean, really nice fish. I mean, every cast sometimes. And then I do another trip, and I get out there, and there's a bunch of guys anchored on it. So I started, said, guys, you know, a run from there was about 35 minutes on my boat. Um, so I said to some guys, said, we normally, you know, start at 6, and then I'm like, we got to start at 5. And then one day I said, we got to start at 4.45. So they met me at 4.45 on the boat. We got up there at 5.15, there were seven full-on charter boats, and I'm talking big boys, big boys yep. with, with 25 people on each boat. Seven of them anchored up there, and uh, they'd all come out of Rock Hall, and it was 5.15 in the morning. You're not even allowed to start fishing till five, right? And at 5.15 in the morning, and they were bailing 25 to 30-inch fish with live. Amazing. And I'm like, we're screwed, guys. We, I mean, we'd got up that. I, my, my goal is always to beat the, the anchoring up boats by about yep. 45 minutes, half hour. 40, if I get half hour on my own before anybody else shows yeah. up. We left at 4.45 in the morning on a charter, midweek. It wasn't even a weekend. And these guys, and then one boat would limit out. He would slide out. Another guy would slide in. He'd run back to Rock Hall, pick another trip up. <laughs> I watched it, and I'm like, ah, wow. And, and, you know, I don't, you know, it was funny. They were all Amish, the clients. I yeah, mean, yeah. every single one of them. Yeah. And then... One of the, it was cool. I forgot to put my camera out, but one boat had all Amish women on it. 
I, I, I mean, me. I'm like, all of them. I love them. Both the mate, the captain, and all these ladies in their stuff. And I was right next to them, and I didn't even think to take a picture that day. Yeah, I, got, yeah, yeah. I was so close to them, I didn't want to, I didn't, I guess I just didn't want to feel rude. <laughs> well, I think they have something with, with picture taking in their, in their. Oh, is that right? I think. I just didn't want to, I, I just, I didn't want to feel like I was gawking, but it yeah. was something that no, surprised they are, me. They, I know yeah. some captains out of Rock Hall, yeah, yeah. in fact, uh, you know, and they're, they, they run great businesses yeah. uh, with a lot yeah. of clients yeah. from Pennsylvania, yeah. a lot of Amish, a lot of, and it's, you know, yeah. it, and those folks are there to, to have an enjoyable day on the water, but yeah. also catch their, their oh, and I mean, and it was, this is, I mean, clearly the the, the men, and, and they were different. They were different Amish because you had the ones with all the hats. Mm-hmm. The group, was, I mean, they were all different. I was just observing all this, but the one with all the women on it, I thought that was so cool that yeah, you know, it was, and really, it was really cool. Good. But I, I, I just didn't really feel like pulling my camera out. Right, right, right. <laughs> well, and, and those kinds of spots, I mean, they're no secret. Yeah. It's not well, like... no, but it was what shocked <laughs> me was so that spot got pounded for yeah. for. Three weeks, yep. maybe more, and essentially we wiped out that school of fish. Yeah. And then the next spot was Love Point, and that got pound- the, 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 the the sort of the lump out now out off Love Point there, which we'd fished, jigging it, and then once the live bait showed up, we had to move on, and um, that got pounded. Mm-hmm. And and so we had fish basically in three areas at that time, um, which. That Thursday, I went out three days into the season, three weeks, two, three weeks into the season, and there's nobody on the bay because the in, the internet is my is the problem. <laughs> so what happens is there's no fish out there, so everybody just googles and waits till somebody starts reporting a fish where they caught it or this, and then so that Bay Bridge phenomenon and then the the the, the, the Love Point phenomenon, all this, it's all. Uh, you know, social media inspired yeah, and everybody like throws their boat in the water and they all go pile in there. Yep. I saw some bad behavior too, where people just really don't know how to drive their boat around other traffic. And yeah. our clients get the, you know, we get our lines cut off. We like tackle fishing at a lighthouse and guys cut in between us. And, and I'm like, we're just going to move guys. I don't get angry at them. I mean, these guys, yeah, yeah. and the guy panicked. I mean, he realized he'd got in too close. There's a bit of current. He freaked out and he just ran through our lines and everybody else's lines. And, you know, like, we just got to move. And, you know, there's nothing, I can't get angry at the guy. He, he, he took off. He, he, went, he got embarrassed yeah, and went. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. But the, the social media aspect of it is that the bite is on and we pile out and we wipe out that stock, which, yeah. is, which is sort of, so I was thrilled that we had good fishing this year, mm-hmm. but I was disappointed that we did hammer it yeah. in, in, as a group. Yeah, and I'm yeah, like, exactly. and my job is to go out and catch fish and... Uh, I just watched it, you know, and everybody's allowed, everybody's allowed to do it. You know, I mean, it's nothing, you know, nobody out there is doing anything wrong necessarily. We, right. There were just a lot of people. We're, we're a high-density population uh, up here, particularly. Yep. Uh, you know, Southern Maryland and, and a lot of those other places are harder to get to, harder, more yep. of a commitment. But you can pour out of Annapolis, pour out of the Magathy, pour out of Rock Hall, pour out of all your boats that you have. I mean, sitting around, waiting till that hear the bite hey honey i'm gonna go catch us some dinner you yep. know so yep. people don't want to go burn a tank of gas looking for fish and trying to figure it out for themselves they wait and then once they figure it out it's all posted this is how we catch them you anchor up you use this bait this weight this hook this this and you catch them and then next day you've got everybody with pictures on the internet i made a conscious decision on my um social media this year not to post pictures of dead fish mm-hmm. i don't put that in and i say that in the last week i've put two pictures of dead fish on the phone <laughs> but but i just felt like you know what but i, I really i feel that the, honestly i think the summer's over and that i all summer i didn't put a picture a single picture of a dead fish mm-hmm. 
I put a lot of pictures of smiling people. I put pictures of people holding live fish back. I put people, videos of people releasing fish carefully and no dead fish. I just didn't want that, you know, here we are, here's my dead fish quota. Uh, because I think that sort of sends the wrong message why we're out fishing, you know? I mean, sure, I, and I, I didn't feel bad because I put those ones up this week. Yeah, we kept some for, mm -hmm. for supper. I mean, that's what we kept, you yeah. know? And, uh, that's what they want to do. And, they, and then the, the people who I took out yesterday, uh, that's their only fishing trip in the Chesapeake Bay this year. Right. I mean, they're, they're not a so massive impact. That exact point right there, I think, is something that gets totally lost to the, those of us from all different aspects of the recreational fishery that fish a lot. And even, even from a management perspective, it's something I try and remind managers of quite often. They, we, it's human nature to be defensive and sometimes offensive. <laughs> uh, and it's, uh, we, we protect what we think is right. And in this fisheries management world, it's like, you know, the recreational fishery is so diverse. It is people that may fish one time a year yep. and catch their two rockfish. Yep. And it is people that might fish a couple hundred times a year. And catch two rockfish every day. Yeah. Well, or not choose to kill, no, kill no, they don't I so mean, they're, yeah, they're yeah. what they kill is more maybe the catch and release mortality yeah, that happens yeah, yeah. or the ones that get deep hooked back right 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 or somebody that catches every single fish yeah. and it's it's that variability i mean there's 11 million saltwater anglers in this country yep. i think i think the numbers i know the license sales have gone down in maryland but we've got about 175,000 uh, title anglers we've got the boat sticker so it's hard to figure out how many people are fishing on right that. right it's hard to figure out exactly how many people fish on charter captain uh, charter boats or, or guide boats even though you have logs so there's at least a quarter million people that are that are licensed in yep. the state, I would say, um, out catching these fish. And it ebbs and flows with uh, whether or not they're going out. And that's that's one of the big challenges with uh, with fisheries management. And I, you mentioned the preseason catcher and lease. And as we've talked about in previous podcasts, if the water's cool, there's a, moder a even a little bit of salinity, the air is cool, that preseason condition it's like 0.8% mortality of yes. shallow hooks. Yeah, fish, yeah. Right? I mean, I, I can't imagine that. I mean, I know, I yeah. feel comfortable every fish I release. I mean, I feel comfortable they're going to be fine. Right, right. Yeah. And especially jigging, where the shallow hooking, like yeah. we talked about earlier. And on, But with, from a management perspective, the way that's actually measured and, and quantified is way different. It's there's an, there's a uh, it's called MRIP, and um, it's the survey program. And so the year is split up into two-month waves. North of North Carolina, there are not intercepts or not active surveyors for the month of uh, January and February, which is called wave one. Um, and so we don't really have a, an estimate platform there in January, February uh, to help managers understand what anglers are doing. We do in March and April. And of course, tr uh, the trophy season has been in April. Um, and so MRIP would tell you, and you can go to the website and, uh, and look this up and actually query the database for different things. They have uh, shore mode, private boat for yeah, hire, all right. these different estimates yep, of yep. who the different pieces of the recreational fishery are. And the key is not to take one little piece of the puzzle too serious, not seriously, but, but don't put too much weight on one little piece of the puzzle because the system is built to analyze year-long effort and, and catch. Yeah. And, and I, I don't, won't even get this right if I tried to talk about <laughs> it in more detail than that, but it, it's, um, it's a statistically sound pro, uh, 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 platform, but it's not perfect, and there's tons of criticism of it. And frankly, there's a lot of focus on trying to improve it, and that's why I'm bringing it up. Right. Um, so in, in March and April, wave two, there is mortality on the books for Maryland. And so as managers now are trying to figure out what are we going to do moving forward, and a lot of this we'll hear about on September 25th, and actually I forgot to mention there's now a Eastern Shore, a Cambridge meeting October 3rd at the, uh, I believe the American Legion, the building on the left as you come over Route over 50 Bridge, Bridge if you're yeah. heading yep. towards Cambridge. Yep. Yep. 
uh, on the left, uh, I think American Legion. Um, so and that'll be that should be out here shortly. I think that was just booked last week. So there's going to be two opportunities to really um, see this information and ask these questions. But ultimately, so March and April, wave two, Maryland has mortality there. And it's not just April. It's not just the trophy right, season. Right. There is some in March that's assumed too. And I can't remember the numbers that, that somebody told me last week. I don't want to misquote them, but it was a pretty decent number. And when they told me how many, it was a couple hundred thousand fish. <laughs> was estimated to have been caught, and then even because 9%, the 9% number was still tens of thousands of fish that were estimated to be dead. And I went, whoa. And so we do use MRIP. It is it does drive the stock assessment. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start recording my stuff because... Well, see, uh, here you go. It's because exactly I, I fished in my... I was breaking ice to get out of the marina with, you know, take two guys out and uh, go catch and release, and, and I... Fished, fished a lot at the bridge. We had I found a pod that was holding holding big fish, one of the piles. Yep. Um, so I fished there regularly, and I fished a couple other spots. I would again in March and in February. I go out in perfect weather. Yeah. You know, five knots of wind or less, and we get a lot of days like that, which is interesting. You know, and so but not every year. No, well, <laughs> which leads to another right, bit of right, complexity right. by making but, assumptions. So, but I, I mean, I will if it's more, much more than five knots of wind, because I mean, I mean, we were breaking ice to get out of the marina, but yeah. but so long as there's no wind, we can fish it without literally freezing. Right, right. And I was the only boat out there. Yeah. Occasionally, I would see another boat, and the, and often the only other boat out there was well, two other boats out there would be a DNR boat and a Coast Guard boat. And yep. they would come and say hi. They boarded me once, and then they, yes, you're the only crazy fool out here. <laughs> and I didn't kill 9% of 2,000 fish, and I didn't see another boat out there fishing. Well, well so. that's the thing. We know, and we do have science that says it's not 9%. But, we I mean, no I didn't catch 2,000 fish either. Well, no, exactly. yeah, so, so, and yeah, you, know, and you like, mentioned you're going to yeah. record your fish, yeah. and that's, that's something that it, I know how difficult. Fishing's supposed to be fun, recreational fishing. Um, you know, for obviously many, there's yeah. a business component to it, and it's a huge economic driver. And there's a, uh, the Angler Action Foundation out of Florida, uh, which is the, the entity that runs iAngler. Um, you yeah. know, the, the creation of all that was for <clears throat> this exact reason, trying to get at some more accurate numbers and put the power in the hands of the angling community to better define the realities that we're experiencing. Right, right. And it's not that this system that the government's run forever is this terrible thing that we should throw away. I mean, it is used, and you can't just replace things overnight. And I, I say all this with all due respect to all the the, yeah. the well-intentioned people yeah. taking part in this process. But from the angling community's perspective, if we should have started this conversation 10 years ago and said, wow, if some of these numbers are wrong, what are we going to do to replace right. it? But there's no inherent benefit to an individual to do that. Yeah. It's the community as a whole. And thankfully, there are leaders throughout our fishing community, throughout the country, on a political level, on a business level, that are saying, you know, they have the forethought and the vision to say, we need to do this kind of work yeah. and, and start tabulating this stuff. And it even goes back to... So, you know, that, that charter captain uh, checking in or, or, or keeping a log of the circle, oh, of the circle of the yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. that kind of stuff, if in done in partnership with the department in a statistically sound way, so it can be plugged into yeah. management, is really valuable. Totally. I still believe that that information, which is generally anecdotal, even though it is done in some more of a scientific way, let's say, like a structured way, yeah. um, it should be valued by managers, um, but that's easier said than done sometimes. And it all everybody's different, right, what they think right. is important right. enough to make a decision. And so I think we're going to see this evolution over the next many years of this uh, crowd-funded or, or crowd-sourced um, and, and citizen science-type information helping fuel the management of our fisheries. And I think it's going to have to take more frustration before we really get something uh, you know, solid in place. Um, but we have the iAngler app. Um, there's a number you, people could download it right now, and the iAngler, not the tournament app, but the regular iAngler app, 
and you could download that, and then you can log your catch. Okay, and right, And on right. there yep. is, is affiliations, and there's one called Chesapeake Catch, which was a platform that we tried to get together to do this ex- exact purpose, but there really wasn't a uh, maybe a crisis or a need. Right. So, you know, the question is when does it become real? And it's it only takes something to happen for the fishing community to get serious about it. So just like the trophy season's had a major downturn to where charter captains that a decade ago would have never said, hey, I'm, yeah. I'm willing to give it up. Yeah. Now I think there are some out there Well, because they know up. the rest of the year is, I mean, for, for all of us, those yeah. spawning fish are, you know, I'm going out there and you know, taking six, eight-year-old kids. I mean, I go straight to the schoolies with breaking birds and they're catching these eight-inch fish and yeah. squealing and loving it, learning how to cast. And these are bigger fish and more kind of more fun than the, the perch they're catching off their dock, which yeah. they've done previously. Um, and, you know, I have to think, even in these temperatures, that 90-plus that percent of those survive. You watch them, you know, they zoom, off they go. You know, they don't look any worse for wear. Uh, I think, you know, the techniques we do use for the big fish, you know, if we are trolling for them, you're not, you're not going to be releasing it after it's been towed like a bucket for yeah, You really five have, to, you have to understand what your winched, impact is. Winched, winched into that. the boat. And... Um, what we did have this year, you know, these what we call resident fish. I mean, our mm-hmm. summer fishing, our resident fishing has been very good. I mean, probably well, it's not. spread that. out, too. Remember last year, it was all centered, centered on Love Point, Hodges Bar, yes, yes. Swan Point. And that led to, I think, a lot of the issues. There was so poor, there's so much poor water. Right. And it's so much the concentration. Yeah. The social media thing hit. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, and the we hammered them. And we hammered them there. Yep. And, and it was, and then we hammered them again this year. And yeah. we hammered our resident but fish. But didn't they spread out? A little more? Uh, uh, well, they now they go have. to Hodges. No, now they have. Yeah. I mean, yeah. well, quite frankly, now the fish is, I mean, it, it, I, I say that. They're, they're still in particular spots, but now they're right. all over the place. There are fish yeah. all over the bay. The Eastern Bay is full of mostly little fish, but there are some good spots right now to catch some really nice fish. I have not been catching too many 30-inch fish recently, but Ju- July we did. And, uh, again, probably, it depends. See, my... my you know, if I've got expert anglers on board, yeah, we'll go hunt for the bigger fish. But right. if I've got kids, right. I'm just going to go look for a fun day. Well, so, so you mentioned the little fish zooming back in the water. You mentioned the, the big fish kind of having trouble getting going. And I found something really interesting in, in a course that I've taken and, and moderated for a while called the Marine Resource Education Program. And we learn all about the, the, the biology of the fish and the science that goes into estimating uh, population dynamics. Mm-hmm. And a couple different things that, that are important that I repeat all the time to people. One, with the population... Um, a straight bass has evolved to live as long as it does because it doesn't breed successfully or spawn successfully every, every single year. year. Right. So there's a lot of anglers out there that say we should let fish spawn once before we take them. And personally, I, I understand that concept, but with a species like a striped bass, if it reaches spawning age, I think we should be more protective of that size because it may take them a decade to spawn effectively two or three times. So that one year you let them spawn may not have been the good year right. because it's mostly well, environmental that. conditions. We, we've seen that st- statistically, the 2011 yeah. year, young yeah. of the year and all 15, this stuff. 16. Yeah, they, they, you know, we got great years and then we have yeah. terrible years. Well, yeah, know? and so when they have a good year, it's mostly because of environmental conditions. We yeah. want fresh water, no yeah. fresh water, salty yeah. water, yeah. temperatures. Good balance of things, yeah. enough snow. It's, yeah. Not, yeah. it's not wild temperature swings once the right. eggs have been right. uh, fertilized right. and, and they're swimming around and such. And those are those little fish that we get to see as anglers in Maryland. Uh, because we are here in the, in the estuary, um, where most of the population is born in the nursery grounds, essentially. Um, those little fish, they're designed and they've evolved to be able to live in an estuary that has sometimes poor oxygen conditions, especially now. Okay, interesting. I mean, yeah. And they, if you, I relate it to humans sometimes. If you think about a little kid that seems like it could never run out of energy, um, 
in some ways, that's the little fish. And then, and if you think about just lung capacity alone, think of an older person, and that's lived that life, and they're you know they're probably not as healthy as that maybe like teenager. And so the fish are, in, I think, in very similar. Um, and, and scientifically, it's been proven just from like gill capacity um, and breathing capacity. I think their their ability to remove oxygen from the water is first of all amazing. Right. They can live in very very low Pool concentrations. Water, yeah. 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 And, but the small ones, their gill-to-body weight ratio is, is higher than the larger ones. And maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but it's that kind of dynamic that makes the smaller fish much, they're more apt to live in the estuary. Well, I'm going to, my one major observation from this year, and my clients notice it, especially the guys who fish a lot, they wow, look how healthy all our fish look. Yeah. Our 24-inch fish, our 30-inch fish, our little fish, our bright colors, no... Um, Reds, no red yeah. sores. Yeah, I mean, very. I mean, these fish are, and they fight hard, and they are even in August. You know, oh, last few years, man, I've pulled some fish that I cut the right. line on. I'd, you know, I don't, but I mean, they, they're so sick. I haven't pulled a really sick-looking fish out of anywhere, and and uh, and they are really vibrant, dark, dark green. And normally, by summer, they get kind of get a bit pale and uh -huh. a bit like. Uh -huh. We have enormous amount of bait up here this year, and the last couple of years we've had this bait. Um, but the bait we have, up, and again, I don't fish down Solomon's Island. I don't go down that far, and yeah. I haven't well, really except been. except for last week. Well, last week, <laughs> and, and, and we didn't catch any fish down there, so we came back. And um, we were supposed to, you know, and, uh, and, but that was interesting, too. Where did we, we, we had a good day fishing. We caught them all in right Right, right, where I normally, right, right where I normally fish, you know. And we weren't after stripers. We were really specific. We spent a long time looking for a particular fish, and we just didn't get a shot. Yeah. But um, I, I am very impressed with the, 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 the quality, the health of the fish that we're catching. Because when you know when you're on a school of sick fish, I mean, I, we wouldn't even put them in a boat. You don't right. want people to take those home to eat right, or anything right. like that. And, and uh, they, they, they look great. So this year, we've whatever the, all the various environmental factors that are in play where the fish are up here and I know that I know the fish are here again in Annapolis whereas you know let's we we'll go back four year, four years ago they all they were on the hill which yep. is uh, which is um, mouth of Eastern Bay yep. and so the Chesapeake Beach guys and all those guys could reach them now a lot of the boats docked right around the corner from me are all right in Back Creek they put all the big boats Back Creek or the Magathy because they're steamed to do a double if they have to steam up from Chesapeake Beach, steam back, pick their second group up, steam up and steam back. They, they were just losing money on mm -hmm. fuel and time. And so the fishing outside of Annapolis for the past three years, I mean, the hill to me is also definitely within reach. That's a definite spot that I go to. Mm -hmm. um, I've been very lucky. The past four years, the fish have based themselves in Annapolis. I don't know whether the bridge sort of becomes a buffer for the bait, but they're all here because of the bait. They're yeah. going to say the So the fish that are here are all for the bait, and why we've got all this bait just tucked around us is, is I don't know. What kind of bait are you seeing? A lot of rain minnows. Yeah. Rain minnows are my number one thing that, 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 that I mean, are crushing everything on rain minnows, yeah. basically. Yeah. And so I use very, my target with very small baits, and I'm catching very big fish relatively on, yeah. on the smallest bait I can throw. Um, and yesterday I'm pulling up eight, ten-inch stripers just throwing main minerals up. So, as soon as we pull them into the boat, I'm going, by the end of the day, my boat's full of rain yeah, minerals. Yeah. And there's been big pods of bunker around and stuff like that. Um, 
But you but seen big bunker, small big bunker, bunker big big bunker, some they real made big it past bunker. The gauntlet. Yeah, yeah. So that exactly, yeah. and then also again this year for the second time, I did it last year. I caught some um, uh, caught some um, hickory shad. Okay, 50, I saw that recently. Fifty yeah. feet, fifty feet of water. I threw a little lure out, and uh, with two kids catching, and I cast away from where they were casting. I, again, the same thing happened last year, and this kid, and this suddenly this fish comes jumping out of the water. I'm like. Stripers don't do that. What the hell's that? You know, we get into the boat. Hickory shad. Last year, I didn't even know what it was. This or year, man's yeah, and they come tail walking across the thing, and we got one or two. We've got two this year, so far, and, and in 50 feet of water. We're in the middle of the bay, and it just blows my mind that we're getting in the middle of summer. They've got past all the nets and things, you know. But, uh, yeah. but yeah. So there's a good variety, of them, and and the Spanish mackerel bite has been phenomenal, and we've just had fun with that, just putting metals on and. You're all casting for them, not much trolling. Yeah, I'll cast. Yeah, I cast yeah. for them. Yeah. No, no. I, I one day, <laughs> one group I had to go troll because it was just the weather got so bad. Yeah. I couldn't run the wind and the current. We had 25 knots out of the, uh, out of the north with the with the current ripping out. And every time we got near the birds, we'd blow through them so fast. So I switched up and trolled and we got a few that way because we couldn't even get back up wind easily enough. And it was pouring rain. It was just a miserable day. So that's the only day I actually set out to troll for them. But we've been running into them, run and gun, see the, see the birds and just, and the, the nice thing about the, you know, the GI one ounce GI jig or one and a quarter ounce something or another, you can fling it a long way and then just rip it back to the boat. Yeah, and the key uh, to the Spanish is spin blues is fast. Rip it, rip it. If you slow fast. it down, then you'll start gut hooking those rock fish and things, which you're trying not to do. But if you right. if you rip it back to the boat as fast as you can, and so it's not a fishery I do with kids typically, and, and this. But if I got guys on board who want to go fish, we'll go chase the Spanish mackerel, and we we put all the plastics away and go for the Spanish mackerel. So Spanish mackerel, uh, bluefish. Are these fish that you're keeping and smoking or do yes. anything like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you I love to. Chef? Yep. Oh, I, I mean, I'll, I, what I do is I smoke it and send it to them. I, I, I'll, uh, I smoke it all up. I'll take it. I'll take it. And some of them want to do it themselves. I said, let me do it for you, and I'll vacuum package it and mail it to you next day. Well, there you day. go. Yeah. That's fantastic. So I, I have done that every year, and I love it when the bluefish show up in numbers enough. The big problem is, oh, bluefish. You get the first one, and it's a sort of 12, 14-inch bluefish, and you throw that in the cooler, and then that might be it for the day. And you're like, oh, <laughs> well, now what I'm going to do is yeah, take this home and grill it. But, um, right. you, know, I, you know, sometimes we get on them. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we were on a good school of bluefish and some Spanish, and, uh, you know, that was great. Smoked out, delivered it. Actually, they were drivable. I went and delivered it to them, and they were, like, thrilled. You know? yeah. so, is there a special secret to your brine or anything like that? Yeah, molasses. Molasses. I put a big, big old spot. So no, instead of sugar? No, no. I, sugar sugar, I, sugar, I half the salt, double the sugar. Well, no, well, standard sugar, half of half the salt, molasses, and lots of Worcestershire sauce. Okay. And then a couple of bay leaves. Smoke it. Right near the end, I... Uh, Sprinkle some orange zest on it, and right near the end, I put a little drizzle of, um, of uh, uh, maple syrup on it. No kidding. Let that just set on there, and then, that's, okay. and then, then I eat it on a cracker. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Rather than uh, rather than fish dipping it all, you know, uh, which which is also good. I um, I got lucky enough to get to smoke something else the other day, and uh, yes, we turned that into a fish dip. That was a seventy thousand dollar fish dip. <laughs> $70,000 white marlin. Um, and I know it's, there aren't a lot of white marlin harvested anymore. It's mostly I, for these tournaments. I, well, but I'll tell you what, as far as on the smoker. Yeah, yeah. It's, the, it's the best. So, I, I, you saw what I said on Facebook. I know, right? I know. I, I knew, that, I knew it was, was pointy. pointy. It was pointy. And so it was interesting. I grew up all over the world, traveling all over the world. And my grandfather, we lived, we lived in, in East Africa a lot. I mean, for a long time. My grandfather grew up there. My father did. And, and um, he'd go offshore. What fish. country? 
in, in Kenya. We, we, okay. uh, it, so my father grew up in Kenya, from Kenya, and uh, my grandfather there. And then we'd lived in Tanzania, lived in Kenya, but I lived in Tanzania for four years or something. And um, But in the, you know, when I'm eight or nine years old, you know, we'd go down to the beach, and my grandfather would go sport fishing and catch marlin, and we'd eat. We ate marlin a lot. Yeah, yeah. And I came over to America, and in New Zealand we eat marlin. Um, rest of the world, actually, yeah. So wherever I live, we'd marlin every Friday. We'd have marlin steaks, grilled marlin steaks. Mm-hmm. And um, get to America, and I just sort of never saw it. Never, then I realized, so in 1972, in the Fisheries Act, um, it, the marlin, all marlins, or all, all billfish, I suppose, except swordfish, because that's not true. But all marlin, uh, it's illegal to sell wholesale or in a restaurant huh. in, in the United States. Okay. And because of that, the Billfish Conservation Act? The, the, in 1972. Yeah, that's the, so, the initiation. So, the initiation. Of it, yeah. So outside of Hawaii, you are not allowed to consume, not allowed to sell it um, in wholesale or in a restaurant. So you can't buy it in a supermarket and you can't buy it in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. So Americans think marlin's no good to eat. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just a mentality. My friends yeah, nev- yeah. never eat marlin. You, yep. eat, you eat marlin? I mean, I get it. A tarpon, I mean, again, I've never tried a tarpon, but I've been told it, you just cannot eat it. You know, it's like, right. it's also protected. But I think the Americans have decided that because they've just, since 1972, it's never on a menu, it can't be any good to eat. Marlin's great to eat, <laughs> I have to say, because I grew up eating it, I grill it. So I was very lucky when we you know, got one the other day and um, it's delivered to me pieces of it. And so Regina and I, we had some on the grill that night, fresh and with some lemon and pepper. And then the next day I smoked these and we had on the crackers. And then the next day I you know, made a big, fish dip and we took it out on my fishing trip with the guys that were fishing with me and we had stopped for lunch with smoked marlin dip on a, on a, on crackers and they're like good god this is amazing and uh, so I'd throw a little bit of old bay in there and some hot sauce into the dip and, uh, and they're going what's this I'm like this is smoked marlin dip white marlin dip and they're like wow and these are two guys who fish a lot and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. they were like this is delicious yeah and, uh, I, I, I found a piece of it um I actually cleaned one for a friend yeah. um, at White Marlin Open. It yeah, was a, yeah. a, a prize-winning yeah. fish years and years and years ago. And he walked up to me and said, can I borrow your knife? And I said, no, yeah. I'll clean your fish. Yeah. But I need a piece of but it. But I need a piece yeah. of it. And I never had it before. Yeah. And at the time, I'd been smoking a lot of bluefish, and, and I was just intrigued. So I love to cook, love to eat fish. And yeah. Well, I've, man, I've, I I've regularly, so regularly in Florida, we'll, you know, we'll, you know, we have an unfortunate incident, you know, like a tail wrapped sailfish or yeah. something, and it dies. We bring them in, and you're allowed to bring one in a day, and you know, as long as it's the right length. And so, when you've got to have a permit, you got to tag it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It. You can record, report it on the HMS yeah. thing when I do. And, yep. uh, but, you know, once or twice a year, I get to eat a sailfish, and they're great. Mm-hmm. Marlins, you know, we do all these tournaments, and so this particular instance was. Uh, so my friends, you know, friends, I'll just keep names out of it. But uh, my friends, they caught a marlin, took it to the scales. And it actually just, it was long enough, it just missed weight. And uh, I called him immediately and said, all right, well, bring some of that, chunks of that back to me. He said, oh, we donated it. I'm like, you donated it? You know that... You're supposed to donate it to the Tom Fund. Yeah, that, that goes <laughs> to the prison system or something. So you're giving delicious, fresh marlin <laughs> off to go to the prison system or wherever you donate it to. It goes to, like, government, you know, yeah, 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 homeless is fine, fine you know. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I'm like, just cut a chunk of it before you donate the whole thing, you know. <laughs> and so, lo and behold, three days later, they get one that's worth some money this time. And uh, I get the... I didn't call, but I got the phone call. I'm like, I've got some for you. So I was... Very, that's fantastic. Very, but they said we've got to go catch Tom another fish that we can bring to the scales because he wants to smoke something. So, so they did, and they won some money, and uh, and it was very cool. That's so, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, and those billfish tournaments are 
the, the, the very, very tiny number of fish that are killed. 90, 98% of 98.5% or something yeah, yeah. I released. So, I mean, they and, drive and, so much activity and, in the cities and, and, and towns and ports. And, and you, look, you look at the, the, the biggest proponent of billfish conservation are the guys who fish for them. Exactly. Both sailfish and marlins. In multi-million dollar boats burning well, thousands of Well, you have multi-million dollar people yes. lobbying yes. for them. So, yes. so they're yes. a very powerful group. If we did not have those guys fishing for them, yep. Uh, the commercial guys would just longline them to death, and we would, and they'd be sold in Japan or something, and, and yeah. it'd be gone. Yeah. So, yeah. so, what well, you know, a few recreational guys killing a fish. I, when I go fishing uh, offshore, you know, uh, I am ready, I'm happy to kill a fish if I want to eat it, or yep. if I, if it's worth money to me, uh, it, I'll do it. And, yep. and that's a big debate, but that's. It. But we, I've released so many. You know, so, so many. Well, it's something, a personal decision people need to make. And then if Yes. If you're not prepared to kill it, you should fish. I I mean, that's the one thing I kind of tell people. If you're not prepared to kill it, I don't think you should fish for them. And I mean, I I had a, and and I'm going to go back to another story where a very good friend of mine, Angus Phillips, a reporter for the the outdoor columnist for the Washington Post, you know, forever, forever. Uh, One day I posted a picture of a big fish. And I'm not even sure if it was dead, but it was a big one. And this was before I became super, super, uh, you know, I don't, I definitely don't keep anything over sort of 35 inches, but yeah. um, I, I very rarely keep over 30. I, there's no need to. I mean, a 24-inch panfish, I'm going to eat it. That's yeah. perfect. Yeah. So I don't keep the big fish anymore. But I posted a picture somewhere on this thing probably eight, ten years ago. And Angus not only is a big fisherman, but he's obviously a very, very big bird hunter, duck and goose and everything. And he commented immediately, you should release that breeding female, blah, blah, blah. I said, well, Angus, when you start releasing these geese, after you've shot them out of the sky, I'll start releasing these. <laughs> I kept him quiet. Yeah. A logical <laughs> debate yeah, right like, there. That's right. yeah, I mean, I can release this, right? You yes. can't release that goose right. anymore when it's in the dog's mouth. You know? Yes, yes. <laughs> well, so you're, uh, what do you, I knew you, who, one of the guys you were out with last week, uh, Joe Evans yes. of Chesapeake Bay Magazine. Yes. And you mentioned esport yachts and yeah. your sailing world, and your, you know the, the. We've been talking fishing mostly here, yeah. but you've got such a diverse background. Right? Have you written for the magazine, or what are you doing with uh, with Chesapeake Bay Magazine? No, no. The, the, actually, what happened was the Fish for a Cure is probably the coolest tournament in the Glad Chesapeake Bay, up. right? Absolutely. And so we're getting all geared up for Fish for a Cure, and um, Fish for a Cure was started by a group of literally uh, doctors. Of, of, it was a neighborhood-style tournament. Somebody's wife, one of them had developed cancer, and they said, let's just do a little tournament, have a charity event, and it probably, this is, I'm going to say 11 years ago, 10, 11, I, I should know the actual, yeah. uh, it's probably, I think. I think this year's the 12th. I think it's 12. So, so, so it's about 12 years ago. These guys started, and I got invited along, and I did it, and we probably had 20 or 30 boats, and they had a cool cocktail party reception. It was a 100% ch- charity fundraiser event. It's turned into something extremely special. And they're writing a half a million dollar check every year now yeah. to, to the cancer, the, the, the Cesaris Cancer Institute Anne Arundel Hospital there. And it raises a half a million dollars straight up, goes straight to their, you know, the, the, to fund the Nurse Navigator Program and some other programs now. There's a part of the wing named after the Fish for a Cure tournament. And so early on, Chesapeake Bay Magazine wanted to get involved somehow in it, and they uh, they said we'd like you to run our boat. You know, like we'd, we've been given an entry because we're the media partner for it, and we have an entry. Can you be our entry? So I was the uh, 
Chesapeake Bay Magazine entry, and I obviously used okay. one of my Eastport 32s, and we have done ever since. And so I've always been the Chesapeake Bay Magazine entry for them. Mm -hmm. um, I don't so much write for them, but when I do that event, <laughs> they give me access to their social media, their passwords to their social gotcha. media, so gotcha. I can post stuff on it. That's and, uh, brave. And I get really nervous <laughs> about that. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's okay writing junk on my post pages and doing stuff. So I, I like right after each year's tournament, I like delete myself off as an administrator just in case I get all my, get yeah. well, get on my high horse about something I'm very subtly opinionated about and then shouldn't be uh, right. and. Uh, Go write it on. The, I'm gonna write on here. So, yep, uh, yep, so, yep. but yeah. So I, I, I'm, I'm not so much of a writer for them or anything. But I partner up from. I run their team, the Chesapeake Bay Magazine boat in the A Fish for a Cure. And unfortunately, some of the years I also do the TV coverage for it. So, so often I don't get to fish it. My boat fishes it with my team, <laughs> and I'm running the film boat. Yep. Um, so I have a. It, it gets complicated for me around about that time of year. Well, it's such an important that. Yeah, event yeah, yeah, that yeah. CCA got involved with. Yeah. It. I think this will be our yeah. fourth year, yeah. maybe our third year, um, in bringing on the catch photo release division. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. We've talked a lot about catch and release a lot. Obviously, a fishy release has a higher likelihood of living than one you put in the box. Another logical assumption there. So, um, and it is important that obviously it's okay to, to harvest some fish within the law, especially for these amazing charities and uh, and tournaments and such. And so, um, there has been that evolution though with Fish for a Cure, where they've introduced catch and release, where you take a picture against a ruler. We use the iAngler tournament yep. platform, and because CCA has such a good partnership with the Angler Action Foundation, we kind of married those all those groups together and brought some fantastic sponsors along the way that we, you know, the Fish for a Cure uh, relies upon, upon, of course, to make their events successful. And it's uh, it is the 13th annual this year. 13th, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so it's November 2nd, yeah. and CCA actually has a boat as well. And we have registered, yeah. and folks can donate. And in the past, we've we've found out different unique ways to to get either sponsors or, or part of the CCA family, you know, board members, yeah. and, you know, hardworking volunteers to participate on our boats or, or to fish on the boat under the CCA name. And uh, you know, we have not decided exactly what to do with the fish for a cure boat yet. Right. So I say that to whoever listens to this in the next couple of weeks. Um, hey, give me a good idea or give us a good idea. Well, we might do well I'm going to just fill it in. How do these guys raise so much money when other charities are getting, you know, other tournaments are getting 50 grand, you know? They have this absolute unique formula. They, I don't know whether they stumbled on it or however they did it. It's got very little to do with the fishing. Yep. It's called the captain's challenge. Now, the winning the captain's challenge is generally far more important than winning the fishing, and, and that's the way they've... they've uh, They've, they've set their tournament up. So the captain's challenge is the boat that raises the most money. Yep. It gets hyper-competitive. I was very fortunate to win it once. I don't know if I'll ever be able to get there again. I was chartered by a, by a, a group, who, and several, well, one person in that group had suffered from cancer. And uh, they, I, so I was just the captain and the boat. And uh, they raised it $5 at a time. Amazing. Uh, that was through the, the, they did the grassroots deal. And uh, and they raised it and we won it. We all get the blazer. I, I wear my blazer every year. <laughs> it's, I love it. So the blazers, they go down to the Goodwill store and they buy an assorted bunch of random blazers. Blue, striped ones, green ones, yeah, all this stuff. And they embroider the fish for a cure. Very heavily brought, beautiful logo on the, on the blazer. And the winning team 
goes up, there's a rack of them. You try to find something that's vaguely fitting and you put that on and, and then you walk around that night. And then now everybody who's won a blazer in the past wears their old, ill-fitting, uh, nasty-colored blazer. And so we all, it's very cool. I wear my blazer every year. Um, it's the only time I wear it because I couldn't really go out in it because it doesn't fit me very well. And um, so that's very cool what they do there. That's, that's worked out very well. And I do really, really want to just at this point that we have, a, as, as always, my, my point of contact and my original partner in all of this was Jen Paris Brady, mm -hmm. who was Chesapeake Bay Magazine, and she was the one, literally she was the one who contacted me. I, she was my sales rep for, for advertising in the magazine, and then she came down and she made a point. She came, sat in my office, told him, I want you to run our Chesapeake Bay Magazine team. I'll run it by the powers that be. And uh, she talked to the higher ups and they gave me the go ahead. And so Jen and Jen fished with us every year. She was involved in our team and she would be our media girl or our whatever. And she just loved it. And we all loved having Jen on board. And unfortunately, this last um, November, Jen succumbed to cancer and passed away at 56, 57 years old. And so she went right through that. She, she was instrumental in raising tremendous amounts of money for that program. She ended up in that program herself, um, not for very long. She didn't really make it that long, but it was just, you know, we're, this year we're Jen Paris Brady team, you know, we're fishing in memory of her um, because uh, cancer got her too. You know? Absolutely. And, it's, a, um, it's such a shame that cancer yeah, takes yeah, so yeah, many yeah. good people from yeah. all of our lives yeah. and, uh, but she was our teammate, and and she it was it, me, me and me and me and Jen. That was our we we've done it together since day one. I mean yeah. that's so, uh, and we won't have her this year. You know? well, she she couldn't fish with us last year because she was sick, yeah. and she said Tom, and she told she said Tom, I came up to me literally. She found out in September, and uh, she came actually she passed away in February this year. Mm -hmm. So she came up to me in late September, said Tom, and she said oh, nobody else knows, but I'm not going to be able to fish because I've been diagnosed with this. But don't worry, I'm going to be fine. Mm -hmm. So we go through all that. She couldn't show up. And by that stage, she was going through all her chemo. So she had to keep a real low profile on, on the Fish for a Cure weekend, that first weekend in November. And then, and then she got through, you know, got through Christmas. And then uh, you know, we were in touch with it right till the end. Unfortunately, I was out of town. Everybody that was yeah. fortunate enough to know her. I met her through CCA and Fish yeah. for a Cure yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and at the boatyard. Yep, and yep, one of those yep. people that was just a bright spot in the crowd. Absolutely. At all absolutely. Times. Oh, most positive person. Friendly and, and, yeah. and, you know, didn't really know me, but yep. it was like all of a sudden I had a great friend in Jenny. Yeah. And then, and then what's interesting about her is so she had this whole fishing community. And then she had the whole music business because she was that Naptown Music, yep. the powerhouse. And uh, so there was... The, the the all the suntanned grizzly hand fishing guys and then you get all the the pale skin skinny you know longer head um, music talent you know <laughs> we're all at a wake for her and you get these two completely diverse groups of people hanging out and celebrating her life That's the you power know? of people yeah, like yeah, Jenny yeah, 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 and yeah. I, I think I've seen recently there's been a I know so your team is is it's raising money in, 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 in her, her, her name um, show, yeah yeah and they're so you know, the Captain's Challenge, that's single donations. You can go right on the website. Oh, it's on the website. So easy yeah. to do. Yeah, so Fish easy. for a Cure. I was yeah. just looking at Fish pick, for a Cure. And you pick a boat, and if you pick the Chesapeake Bay Magazine, Jenny Parrish Brady boat, uh, and you can donate on, under her name. Five bucks, ten bucks. Yep. I think if you donate a hundred bucks, they give you a sh you get a Fish for a Cure shirt. Yep. yep. And uh, they will mail that to you within a couple of weeks of the tournament. Yeah, yeah. and you follow along uh, on the website there, and there's, uh, of course, support this boat. There's You'll find others, too. Yeah. Support them all. Uh, there's also events that happen all around town. Uh, I know CCA is going to plan something uh, for our team, 
and urge, urge uh, donations there as well. I mean, obviously the donations all go to the same great cause. Yeah, yeah. And it's the competition behind it that's so much fun. So spread out whatever you can give. And um, I, ex- I expect phone calls. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in, the, yeah. in the last week, it gets pretty competitive. And you're like, when people be knocking on your door, hey, give me another five bucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And yeah. it's a lot of fun. And the, uh, there's a lot of different ways to participate. And again, like Tom said, it's all about the cause and the amazing network of fantastic people around Annapolis that have uh, created this event and kept it strong. I just did look up. It is the 13th year. Okay. Uh, so let's make it the best yet. And I think that's a good way to just close this out. Leave that uh, thought in our minds of all the great people out there in our community uh, whether they fish or not, that we can uh, we can work together with. Um, you know, this fisheries management stuff, is, of course, is complicated. We sprinkle it into a lot of these podcasts because a lot of our, our uh, guests and such do care about it. It is a part of CCA. But ultimately, these fish are for all of us and, and for us today. They were ours in the past. They are ours today, and they are for the future, for all of us as a community to, to conserve for the benefit of everybody. So let's raise some great money for Fish for a Cure. And if you're looking for a great way to go fishing out of Annapolis, be introduced to the, to the sport, or just simply you're an avid angler and want to fish with a fellow avid angler that can tell stories forever, if you can't tell, because Tom is just a wealth of information with a ton of great experiences. This will not be the last time we talk okay, uh, on cool. this podcast yeah. for sure. But let's close it off now at just a little, just shy of an hour and a half. Uh, hope folks are enjoying <laughs> this. Um, thank you so much, Tom, for taking some time on, your, on this beautiful Saturday. And remember, uh, fishwithweaver.com, uh, fish with Tom on Facebook until Tom gets that cleared up. <laughs> fish with Weaver on Facebook, Eastport Dog, if you want to follow along with the famous Spike. And you just christened. Instagram, Instagram. Ju- I'm sorry, Instagram. Instagram, yeah. Uh, Spike's on Instagram, Eastport Dog. And we just christened the Seahawk. What's the name? It's Miss Jenny. Yep. I mean, I'm sorry, Jimmy. 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 Miss Jimmy. So Miss Jimmy. Yeah. So Miss Jimmy, my daughter, who's almost two, has uh, from from about a year old when she could talk, has always called her name is Imogen, but she's called herself Jimmy, and uh, <laughs> she's points to the boat, and it's like Jimmy's boat. So we uh, christened it uh, Miss Jimmy. So there you uh, go. named after my daughter. Well, thank you again for the time. Let's let you get back to the Imogen and uh, and enjoy the rest of this Saturday. Yeah. Thanks, folks, for following along with what's on the line. Remember. Uh, CCA is a membership organization. We'd love to have you join. Um, joins or go to come go to pardon me. <laughs> go to ccamd.org/join. Check out Fish for a Cure, fishforacure.org, and keep an eye out for more information regarding that fantastic event uh, that's supporting just a, such an important cause um, in early November. And thanks for listening.